Good morning. Um, that was better. Thank you. Um, man, so excited to be here with you guys today and to open this word. But before we do that, maybe we can just pray together. I'm going to pray uh, for you and you can pray for me. I need what God's going to say this morning just as much as you do. Um, so God, this morning, we just pray that you just move in this place, God, that you just soften our hearts, you open our eyes, you open our ears, God, that we can hear your word. God, this morning, we can come in and we can go through the motions and we can do the thing, but I I love it when you just want to do something different in us, something unexpected in us, God, that when you want to walk in the room and you just want to maybe tear down the schedule and you want to get rid of the thing that we anticipated, God, and you just want to move, I love that. And God, I'm praying this morning that you just would do that in these moments that you would just, uh, some of us walked in and we thought we were just coming to church today, but it'd be awesome if we could come and meet with you today, that God, you could just move in this place and you could um, speak to us in a way that we would know like it's you. You're not speaking to this guy over here or somebody back there, but just to us. And God, this morning that we could hear that, God, we know that this is a spiritual thing. It's not an intellectual thing. So we're not asking you today to make us smarter or to give me the right words. We're asking you to just to open our eyes to who you are and what you're doing in our lives and our hearts and in the people around us. And God, we believe that today with everything in us. So God, everything in us that's stale and religious and and is just going through the motions today, if you could just take it and you could just stomp it. Because like, we don't need more church and stuff. We just need you. Um, I love that. We try to make it so hard and it's just so simple. And um, God, we could we could do this without any of this. So God, I'm just praying that you just move. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Man, I'm so excited about this word, so I'm just going to kind of get going today. We're going to be in Philippians 3. If you have your Bible... Um, a few weeks ago, we started this series called The Holes in Us, and I don't really know if this is like part of that or this is something different, but it kind of ties into a truth that we touched on last week, and um, I just, I don't know, I've not been able to shake it this week. We talked about how um, God is valuable, and when we don't see that, it creates these issues and these struggles in our life. In the past few weeks, we've been talking about the holes in us, and we've been talking about this truth that all of us do have these holes in us, these places we feel like we're not enough, that we're just not um, sufficient, I guess. We're just not all complete in those areas. And a lot of those things maybe come from wounds that maybe we've inflicted or somebody else has inflicted on us or just lies that we've believed. And, and the truth of it is we... We try to take care of those things ourselves. a lot of times. We try to come in and to, and to fill those holes with other things that, that are never meant to fill those holes. And that could be people. It can be places. It can be stuff. It can be money. It can be power. It can be popularity. It can be a substance. I could go on all day long, but it, it's what we've been referring to the past few weeks is this medication, this thing that we're trying to, this Band-Aid we're trying to put on this gaping hole in our life. And the truth of it is, if we've been around very long, we've tried that thing very long and we're honest, what we realize is it doesn't do very much, right? Like it can't complete us. It can't make us whole. It can't fill that space in us. It can't make us feel like enough, at least not for long. And the truth of it is, uh, the reason for that is because that hole was never meant to be mended by something or some person. It was meant to be mended and healed by Jesus. We've been talking about that the past few weeks, and last week we touched on this thing that, that I've not been able to get away from, and I want to say this with grace because um, I'm saying it to me just as much as I am to you. A lot of times what we're doing when we choose those other things, and I would even say maybe every time, 
what we do un- unwillingly, unknowingly even, sometimes when we choose those other things is we're setting up idols in our life and we're devaluing Jesus. We would never say to God or to anybody else, like, this person is more valuable to me than Jesus, but if we're using that to make us feel whole, isn't that what we're saying? This job, this money, this thing, this substance, what we're doing is we're saying, I want this thing in this moment more than I want you, God. And the scary thing about that is, it's like six and a half days a week, we could be Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And just for a moment, when we choose something else over him, something else other than him, we're devaluing the Son of God. And man, I've not been able to shake that this week because I've been thinking as I go through my days, like, God, what today am I saying is more valuable than you? What today am I saying I'd rather spend time with than you? What today am I, am I saying I long for this thing more than you? And man, that's, that's, a, hard, that's a hard place to be because what I find is, man, I do it often. I do it a lot. I choose other things like a substantial amount sometimes. And my lips would say, God, I love you and I want you more than anything else. But I don't know that my life always says that. So this morning, we're just going to continue on, on that thought. We can call it whatever you want, but here's a message, right? Here's some word. Um, and it's in Philippians 3. And Philippians is a letter written to the church at Philippi by a man named Paul, a little-known theologian. You've probably never heard of him. He wrote, like, the back half of the Bible pretty much, but, you know, whatever. Um, he, he writes these letters to these churches, and, and these letters all deal with, like, how do you live out this faith? How, how do you reflect what you believe in your life? See, that's, that's the trick, isn't it? Like, I know what I believe. I know what I think. I know what I feel. I just I also know how I live, and those two things don't always mesh and that's the trick. It's called discipleship. It's like this thing that we've quit doing in, in the church, and we think that coming for an hour on Sunday or two hours, if you're here on Sunday, that's going to like do it for you, and it's not. You have to get alone with God, and you have to let God disciple you, and that works best with other people. But, but it's, it's a, if we want to live out this life and follow God, we have to connect belief with action, and this is what these letters talk about so often. If you want to be discipled and you don't know somebody to do it, just read all the letters to the churches over and over and over again and find like one thing and start practicing that thing, and before long, man, it might look like we look a whole lot more like Jesus. But in, in Philippians, he's talking about this. How, did he li- how do you live out this faith? How do you connect belief with life? And he gets to three, and, and he says kind of the back half of the letter and he says this, finally, like the end, right? Like maybe some of you guys think that when I start to pray, like finally. Um, but, um, but he starts this chapter three like that. He's like, finally, or we're at the end. Now, like a good preacher, he's got another chapter after this, right? Like, so he's like, finally, two more chapters later, he ends the book. But um, finally, he, he's going to express his closing thoughts to the church at Philippi. And, and this is an amazing moment because this is the important part, right? This is the powerhouse moment. Like, it, you know, when you write like a big old long letter, people aren't going to remember and think about everything you write in there, but what you're going to save the good stuff for kind of at the end. And anyway, he gets there and he says, finally, my brothers, this is, this is the thing. 
Like This is the important thing. If you, if you don't get anything else out of this letter, this is what I want to write to you, my brothers. And he's just saying the church, like the people that are reading this are believers in Christ. He's not writing this to the masses. This is not like a salvation message. This is a people that believe in Jesus message. People that would say they're saved message, right? Like, amazing, we would come in this room and talk to people that believe in Jesus because it's a room full of people that say they believe in Jesus, right? New idea. Uh, But he says, finally, my brothers, and this is what he writes, rejoice in the Lord. You can just stop there. Everything after this is going to be like a summary of that verse. Like, this is what I mean when I say rejoice in the Lord because he knows, like, we're a church full of people and, and we don't know what that means. We don't even know how to rejoice in the Lord, but he's going to write about it. But he says, finally, my brothers, this is the important part. This is the powerhouse moment of the letter. This is what I want us to remember if we don't remember anything else. This is the most important. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, rejoice is a word. I don't think that screen's working, so I'm just going to turn around. This says to feel or show great joy or delight. Rejoice is just a word that means to feel or show great joy or delight. Simple, right? Like if we were thinking, hey, this is the important part when you're writing to the church, what do you want to say? We thought Paul would say, finally, my brothers go to church. And and that's important, but that's not the most important. Finally, my brothers, make sure you only listen to Caleb and, you know, whatever. I don't know if that's important, but if it is for you, then awesome. Or finally, my brothers, uh, wear the right clothes. Or finally, my brothers, quit saying these words. Or finally, my brothers, right? Like we, we think here comes the to-do list. But he doesn't say any of that. Right, like the things that we make the most important, really Paul talks very little, if ever, about. Isn't that crazy? Actually, he's about to talk about something similar on the back half of this. He's going to show you how to not rejoice in the Lord. Um, But the most important thing he can talk about when he talks to the church at Philippi is this, don't forget to rejoice in the Lord. Don't forget to feel or show great joy or delight in the Lord. That's crazy to me, isn't it? If you've ever been to church more than once, like that's, that's a crazy idea, right? Yo, Paul, um, are you saying today what you think God wants from me? Is to find joy in the Lord. To feel or show, and I'm just going to change that because I don't think it's possible to feel something and not show it. To feel and show something. That's like that cop out like I'm worshiping in my heart. No, you're not. If you're not worshiping on the outside, you're not worshiping on the inside. That's how that works, right? If I'm on fire on the outside, I'm going to feel it on the inside. It's the same way when you flip it around. He says, here's what... Here's what I want to say. I don't want you to forget this. I want you to feel and show delight or great joy in the Lord. Now, again, if you've ever been to church more than one time, like that's, that's a radical idea for you, right? Because what do we see most of the time at church? This is why I got burnt out with the church about like 22, 23 years old. And there was a moment where I thought I would never come back. <laughs> like if it wasn't for mom, I wouldn't come back to church. I just, I didn't want to hear that a lot. Uh, like, hey, don't come. But like you, you look around, right? And you're singing these songs about the cross. And you're singing the songs about the goodness of God and how amazing he is. And it's like. Right? 
right? Like who wants to come in a room every week and be surrounded by miserable people? What does that do? It makes you miserable, right? Like if you have friends that are negative and you always talk to those negative friends, don't you in turn get negative? Well, like if you come in a building full of people that are negative, guess what it's going to be for you? It's going to be negative. And he, and he writes this to the church. He's like, hey, I'm not supposed to be that way. This is what it's like or it should be like. And I don't want you to forget this. You should feel great joy in the Lord. Radical idea today. God wants you to be happy. Did you know that? God wants you to be happy today. I'm going to say it again because some of you don't know that. God wants you to be happy today. God's will for your life is that you would be a joy-filled person, that you would, you would be filled with joy, that you would be happy. Isn't that crazy? Some of you are about to leave. You're like, I've never heard that. I don't believe that. Well, it's right there, right? Like Paul's like at the end of the letter. Hey, feel and show great joy, great delight in the Lord. He wants you to be filled with delight. He wants you to be happy. That's what God wants for you. He doesn't want you to walk around miserable like you hate life. He doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be filled with joy, but he qualifies it. He doesn't say, feel or show great joy in your house, or your car, in your spouse, in your family, in your money, in your wallet, in your bank account, in your retirement plan, in your vacations, in your, in your car, in your air freshener. He doesn't say any of that, right? He wants you to be happy, but he wants you to be happy in the Lord. He says the, the source of happiness in your life should be the Lord. When you think about the Lord, it should overwhelm you with joy and delight. When you think about the love of God, it should do something in you that just turns you inside out. When you think about what God has done for you on the cross, man, you should feel and then show great joy and delight. See, the amazing thing about that is, is joy in my house, man, if my house burns down, I'm hopeless. Joyless. Joy in a person, man. If that person leaves, I'm destroyed. Joy in any other situation and circumstances, momentary and temporary. But there's this amazing thing that God has done. This consistent, faithful, loving God that never turns, never fails, never changes. He says, hey, I've got an idea that may be radical for you today. What I want for you more than anything else is for you to be happy. So I came so you can be happy in me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing today? Isn't that good news today? Not only does God love you and care for you and he died for you and he wants you to go to heaven and to be with him forever and ever and ever. He wants you today in this moment to be happy. And he wanted you to be happy so much he sent his son to give you the ability to take joy and delight in him. I'm going to just... I'm going to repeat all that unless I get more amens because I just need you to know this today. This is the end of the letter to Philippians. This is the most important part. He says, I want you to be happy today. But I want you to be happy in me. Then we say last week there was this, this moment and man, it, it kind of shocked me too because I'm just saying it and God was like, hey, here's this thing. It, it, on fire is a myth. On fire for God is a myth. Some of you are shocked again, right? Like you, you remember that from last week. There was a, there was a Holy Spirit moment. Um, on fire from, from God is, is a myth and it's a joke. Because on fire should be the consistency of our life, right? Like to not be on fire just means that we've walked away from this joy that is in the Lord. To not be on fire, to not crave God, to want to be with God, to take joy and delight in God, to want God more than anything else, any other thing. It's, it's to be far from God. 
And he says, hey, here's, here's the radical idea for you today over everything else. If you, if you want to follow God, if you want to make it through this thing, if you, if you want to get through life with all its hardships and heartaches and, and, and you want to make it all the way to the end without quitting, here's what you're going to have to do. You want to get through the hardest moments of your life, the deepest pits, the my family member just died or my my house just burnt down or man, I can't imagine why this car would hit this person. If you want to get through those moments in life, here's how you do it. You have to find your joy in something that isn't temporary. Because people are temporary and places are temporary and money is temporary and vacations are temporary. All that stuff is temporary. Your job is temporary. Here's here's the truth today. Your health is temporary. Here's the truth today. Your life is temporary. And Paul looks at the church and he's like, hey, you you guys look miserable and I don't know why. Hey, we, we just sang this amazing song and you just, you aren't with me and I don't get what's going on. But let me just remind you of something today. It's not about the rules and the regulations and the things and the comes and don't comes. It's not about any of that. It's about this. Take great joy and delight in the Lord. What God wants for you today is for you to be happy, but he wants you to be happy in something greater than most of us find our happiness in. He wants you to be happy in him. And anything else is settling. If I find joy in anything else, it doesn't mean we can't like other things or be around other things. It just means we have to put things in their order. It doesn't mean you can't like your family. It doesn't mean you can't like your spouse. God, I think, wants you to do that. It doesn't mean you can't like your job. It doesn't mean you can't like to have things. It doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying, if that is the source of your joy, man, you're in for a fall. And he says this, hey, hey church, hey Philippians and Ephesians and Overflowians and all that stuff. I got something for you before we end this letter. You got to start finding your joy in the Lord. He's got to be the source. He's got to be the the place that you plug in when your battery's dead. He's got to be the thing because anything else is less. And everything he talks about after that is, is qualifying this one statement. He says, for me to write to you again about this is no trouble for me. What he's saying is, hey, I've wrote about this before. Isn't that funny? Like we want to find one verse about what we should wear, what we don't wear, what we should say and what we don't say. We want to hang our whole life on that. It's called religion. And then here he's like, I've wrote about this a million times. And I don't care to write about it again and again and again and again and again. He says, it's no hardship for me. It's not hard for me. It's not a trouble for me. And guess what? He says, it's a protection for you. He says, it's so important that you take joy in the Lord, that he is the source of your joy, that I will write it about it until I cannot write any more. Because it's a protection for you. You know why it's a protection for you? If your joy is not in the Lord, you're going to burn out. If your joy is not in the Lord, you're going to go through the motions. If your joy is not in the Lord, you may come to church, but you're never going to engage in church. If your joy is not in the Lord, you're going to be worried about what they're doing and they're doing and they're doing and they're doing and not what God's doing. If your joy is not in the Lord, you're going to have nothing going on in worship. If your joy is not in the Lord, you're never going to get in your word. If your joy is not in the Lord, you're never going to engage with him and love him and have a relationship with him like he wants you to have with him. He's saying, man, it's so important to get your joy from the Lord. If your joy is not in the Lord, you may walk away. 
If your joy is not in the Lord, you may be led astray to other things. You may go on with other religions and be caught up in other, other cults. You may, you may go into other things. You, you may leave the Lord, in fact, if your joy is not in the Lord. You, you may come to church and be fruitless and make it all the way to heaven and just kind of been going through the motions the whole time. That would be so sad. Or you may just leave altogether. It's so important that your joy is in the Lord. He says you've got to have joy in the Lord. And then he goes on, again, qualifying this one sentence. He says, watch out for dogs. Now, Paul's not a dog hater, so if you're a dog hater, he's not saying get rid of your pets. Um, but dogs in this time, that was a derogatory term. The, the Jews looked at dogs like they were vermin. It was like rats in the street. They didn't want dogs. They didn't have pet dogs. That would have been gross to them to have a dog in the house. right? Like they didn't, they didn't do the whole dogs thing. So he's actually insulting someone here, and we're about to uncover who this someone is. So I just wanted you to know if you're a dog person, you can still come here next week. Like I'm not against dogs. I like dogs. Paul likes dogs. It's fine. And he says, watch out for dogs. And then he says, watch out for evil workers. Now, here's what we're seeing, right? Like, dogs are not evil workers. It's an insult, and he says, this is what they're doing. There's these evil workers. They've, they've made their way into the church, and, and they're trying to do something in the church. And he qualifies it one more time, and he says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And what we see in this verse is what he's talking about is these, these people who have carried their Jewish traditions, their old religion, their old culture and ways, and they've carried them into the church, and they've tried to strap Jesus to these things. These people may actually be believers or they may just be people that think they're believers. I don't really know. But what their message is, is Jesus is not enough. Man, that is a false message today. Jesus is more than enough. He's all that we need. We don't need rules and rituals and regulations. We don't need the to-do list because if Jesus has your heart, he'll write a to-do list on it. Like that's the thing. We don't need like a 613 commandments and we don't need all these things. That's what he's saying here. He says, we have a new heart. We don't need all this. They're saying today, they're preaching this message that Jesus is not enough. You'll never have joy in Jesus. That's not enough. You'll never find sufficiency in Jesus if he's not enough. Like he either is enough or he's not enough. And they're in the church and they're teaching this dangerous doctrine of do this thing, do this thing, do this thing, do this thing. And they're robbing the church of joy. See, the truth of it is today, if Jesus is not enough, it depends on me and Jesus. And the gospel is not you and Jesus. The gospel is you screwed it up and Jesus stepped in and saved your butt. You can't have joy in a, I've got to do this or Jesus won't love me. I've got, if, I, if I fail and I fall down, then Jesus is going to leave me. You can't have joy in that. And that's the danger in the doctrine of do these things and then God will love you more. No, God loved us before we ever were born into this place. And he called us before we even knew our own name. Like that is this God. And we can't mess that up and screw that up. Like the cross was enough because Jesus is enough. And that's what he's saying. He says, you've you got to have joy. And these people are trying to steal your joy. He says, watch out for those people. And he says, here's why. He says, we are the circumcision, the mutilation of the flesh. He's talking about circumcision. If you want to know what that is, I'll point you to somebody that will answer after. Kenny thought I was going to say him. And if you come to me, that's what I'm going to tell you to go to. Um, but um, he says, we are, we are the circumcision. This is the church. This is us. This is the reality of our nature. We are the circumcision. God has cut away the deadness, the uselessness in us. And he's put in us a new heart is what he's saying. Circumcision was a sign of this old covenant, the, the covenant that we're God's people and, and we're going to follow God and we're going to do his laws. That was the sign. He's saying what God's done in us is now the sign. It's not about some outward thing. It's about what God's done in us is what he's saying. There's joy in that. If it's about an outward thing, I've got to keep up my end of the bargain. If it's something God's done, he's already done it. 
He says, that is us. We are the circumcision. He says, the, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God. He says, this is the reality of who we are. We are people that serve by the Spirit of God. We don't serve out of obligation. We don't serve because God told us we have to serve. We don't serve because God will, will squash us if we don't serve. We don't serve because God will leave us if we don't serve. We serve because God has birthed a spirit in us. That He, The Holy Spirit lives in us and God's moving in us. And we serve out of gratitude in that thing, not because we have to, but because God has given us permission to. That's what he's saying. You want to burn out on serving God, you do it on your own. You want to burn out on serving God, you do it without joy. You want to burn out on waking up early and coming in and doing these things, you do it because you're waiting for somebody to pat you on the back. You want to do it forever and ever and ever. You want to do it with endurance, do it because the Holy Spirit is working in you. And that's what he's saying. We're, we're the circumcision, we serve by the Spirit of God. And then he goes on. And he says, we boast in Christ Jesus. That our bragging is in Christ Jesus. It's not about us. I love that because I know me and I don't have anything to brag about. I wouldn't tell you for like a million dollars who I really am. Wouldn't do it. Jesus knows he's working on me. Thank God it'd be a depressing state if he quit. And I don't have anything today to boast about. But see, when we realize that, there's also joy in that. I don't like who I am most days. I'll be honest. I'm hateful. I'm complainy. There's like a list. That's just the top two that I'm willing to share. And I just don't like me most days. But you know what I love today is what God's doing in me. What I wouldn't trade for anything today is what God's doing in me. See, the evidence today that there is a God who exists and who has saved me is what God's doing in me. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. And today, if I got anything to brag about, somebody says, man, you're doing great. That's awesome, man. I, I didn't know that. I don't feel like that most days. But I want you to know anything good that comes from me, it's from God. That's what he's saying. He says, this is us. You know, we're not pointing at us. Like, look what I do. Look what I do. Look what I do. That is joyless. Because if we're looking for a pat on the back... When we don't get it, it will break us. But when we're looking to extend glory to a God that's greater than us, man, if we don't get somebody saying, hey, man, that was awesome, what we'll say is, man, I just gotta, I just gotta do more because I just want people to see him. I just want people to see him. That is a place of joy. I just want people to see him. I don't care if they know my name. I don't care if they ever see me. I will serve in the shadows. I will serve in a back room. I will get here when nobody's here, when nobody sees it. And I will serve because I want people to see God. I want to glorify God. That is a joy-filled place. He says, we're people that boast in God. And then he goes on. And he says, we do not put confidence in the flesh. Let me kill today with a giant arrow, the final joy crusher of the church. You are going to fail. You're going to screw up. You're going to mess up. People are going to point at you and laugh at you because you are not going to do it some days. You're going to get up and you're going to make a fool of yourself. But here is the truth. We don't have confidence in this flesh. If we would all just get to a place where when people say, you know what, you screwed up, you'd be like, you know what? I did. I jacked it up. You're right. And I knew I was going to do it. But you know what? 
God still loves me. I don't have confidence in my flesh. I still feed into that sometimes. I want you to know. I text, I don't think Anthony's here this morning. He's at work. But I text Anthony the other day and I was like, brother, pray for me. I just feel like I'm just not good enough today. And he said, that's a lie straight from the devil. And I said, you were right. You're right. Now, here's the reality in this flesh. I'm not good enough, and I'm never going to feel good enough, and I'm never going to be good enough. And if I ever feel like that, there's probably some issue with my heart. But the reality of it is God knows I'm not good enough, and he doesn't care. And we start building up our, our relationship with God based on this flesh. That is a joyless place to be. When we base God's love for us on if we've messed up today or not, that is a joyless place to be. When we base God's love for us and his care for us and his desire for us on if we said the right thing and did the right thing today, that is a joyless place to be. God loves you today and there's not one thing you can do to change it. God cares for you today and there's not one thing you can do to escape it. That is God. He is love. He says, before the foundations of the world, this lamb was slain. Before you had a chance to mess it up, he knew you were going to mess it up, and he already died because he already loved you. Why? John three sixteen. because God so loved the world. That's you, that he gave Jesus. Before the world was ever started, set in motion, Jesus was chosen. He chose to die. Why? Because God loves you, and there's not one thing you can do about it. And that is a place of joy today. I'm going to mess up. God loves me. There's joy in that. I'm going to screw it up and people are going to laugh. God loves me and there's nothing I can do about it. And there's joy in that. If it depends on me and what I'm doing, it's joyless. But if it's all based on what God is doing in me, man, there's joy in that. That's what he's saying. He says, this is the reality today of who we are. God has saved us. He's taken out this old heart and he's gave us a new heart. And today we can serve today. We can work today. Not, not, not from a place of I need love, but from a place of I'm already loved. And today when people say, yeah, that was great. That was amazing. That was awesome. We can turn all that back and say, man, I'm not any of those things, but I know a God who is. I don't have any confidence in me, but all my confidence is in him. He says, that is a place where we will find joy and happiness and fulfillment. That is a place that will make you through Monday, through Saturday to the next one of these. That is a place will keep the engines rolling and the fire hot. That is that place. And anything else, the devil is going to impale you about 30 seconds after you leave here. He says, have joy Take joy in the Lord. Then he goes on. He says, this is what I used to be in four. Although I once had confidence in the flesh too. He's like, I used to be that guy. I used to be that guy that everything was based on me. I used to be that guy that said phrases like I'm working for God. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be great. You keep doing that. If God ain't working in you, you better not be working for nothing. He says, I used to be that guy. 
I used to have confidence in my flesh, and I used to think it was all about me. And then he goes on. He says, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's like, and I'm just going to be honest today. I'm going to throw the gauntlet down. I was better at it than everybody that ever existed in this room today. He's talking to the Philippians. He's talking to us. He's like, I I was better at it than you. I had more grounds for confidence in who I was than you could ever muster, is what he's saying. I don't care how good you think you are, how well you're thinking you're doing. I don't care how many pats on the back you give yourself because you woke up this morning. Oh, great job. Like, I don't care about any of that. I had more grounds for confidence than you. And then he starts laying that list out. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. Now, this he had nothing to do with this. This is totally like a, a parent thing. When you're eight days old, you're not like, hey, mom, can you just take me to go get circumcised today? Like, you can't talk yet. You don't even know what that means yet. Like, that's not on you. That's on your parents. But what he's saying just in that statement is from a very early age, from the earliest age possible, I was following the law. And, by the way, I was raised in a house full of people that were teaching me to follow God. Right, If his parents are worried about keeping the law to, to this degree, they're going to continue that stream down the rest of his life. He was like, I was raised in that environment. I just want you to know, not everybody in here was raised in an environment that's like, hey, we're going to follow God today. Maybe some of you were. A lot of you probably weren't. This is, what, this is what God was doing in Paul's life, right? So he says, I was circumcised the eighth day. His words are a little off on it in a second. Uh, of the nation of Israel, I was part of God's chosen people, right? Like God called out one nation among the whole world, and that was Israel. He said, these are my people, and I'm going to be their God. And he says, I was part of God's people. I was born into that. I wasn't a transplant. I wasn't like a convert. Like, I was born into God's people. That was me. Not most of us can say that. He says, as a nation of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, I can even track down the tribe that I was from, right? Like this means he can trace his genealogy all the way back to Benjamin. If he can get it to Benjamin, he can get it all the way back to Adam. I just want you to know this is something that's pretty common for devout Jews. They can say, this was my mom and this was my mom. This was her mom. This was, you know, like they can go all the way back through there and find that tribe. And he's like, I can do that. Again, I was, I was born into this thing. He goes on. He says, I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Actually, both my parents were Hebrews. I'm a purebred Hebrew. Like, right, I'm the, like, all the way down through the line. Like, it was, it was Jewish people all the way back through there. There's not other people interspersed, intermingled in there. He says, this is me, and I had confidence in that. So Hebrew born of Hebrews. He says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. What that means to us is he didn't only follow the law, right? Like he taught the law. He knew the law well enough. He was teaching other people to follow the law. He says, this was me. And he says, as to zeal or excitement, devotion to God, I was persecuting the church. Now, this would have been like extreme even for most rabbis. Most Jewish people didn't go around trying to squash the church. But he was like, man, I had such a such a love for God, a devotion to God. I thought this other thing had sprung up and I was trying to stamp it out. I didn't think they were following God. I didn't think that was the right thing. I thought it was a cult and I was trying to get rid of it. So this was me. He says, as to righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. That's a bold statement. Right? Like I, I can't even say as to righteousness that it's in the law today, I'm blameless. Like he's saying the span of my life. If I, if I, I can't point to you a time that I was just disobedient to God. He says, if there was a righteousness that could be found in the law, if I could be saved by the list, if I could just do the things and get to heaven, I would have been there, is what he's saying. That's a bold statement. 613 of those things, and he's like, man, I was doing them. Now, here's the question today. If, if, if he can make that statement, why in the world would he need Jesus? Let me just let you in. Man, it's not an actions problem we're dealing with today. It's a heart problem. 
There's, there's things I can keep my body from doing that my brain and my heart still want. And that's sin. What's Jesus say when he's talking to the people when he talks about murder? He says, if you ever looked at somebody and you hated them, you've murdered them in your heart. If you ever looked at a woman and you've thought about lusting after her, then you've already committed adultery. That's what he says. It's not an actions problem we're dealing with today. It's a heart problem today. And I don't know about you, but I don't know a law that changes the heart. And Paul looks and he's like, dude, this was my life. This is who I was. I don't know about you, but I'm not confident that we're going to project mine on the screen today. I'm not confident enough in me that I'm going to project who I am on the screen today. If you are, you know, like uh, Chade, I think, is back there. She can type it in real quick and we'll do it. But he just, he puts this down. And like you leave that and you're like, man, this is, this is a pretty good dude. <laughs> I, I can't say most of that. I wasn't born saved. That's not even possible. But he was born into God's people. Slightly different, but a claim nonetheless. I can chase my ancestry all the way back to Adam. I, I don't know. After about three, we just start saying he the number one, he the number two, right? Like, I don't know. I, I teach, but I'm not very good at following it. So I can't make that claim. He says he's blameless. I, I'm not even getting close to that. And I don't know about you, but when, if I had a list, he just, right? Oh, I'm pretty good. Yeah. That was the plan, by the way, when he, when he shared this, was he was trying to shred the list for us. Oh, I went to church. Oh, awesome. That's great. Your list is horrible. Um. Oh, I, I gave money today. That's, that's great. Your, your list is horrible. This 20%, still horrible. 30%, still horrible, right? Doesn't matter. Oh, I know all the songs. I didn't have to open my eyes. I was just the whole time. That's, that's cute. Um, man, I, I prayed every day this week. Three times. Four times. But whatever number, John, it's great. It's amazing. You, you did so good. You, God's proud. Um, Man, I read my Bible every every day this week. That's all. That's yeah, three three times. Yeah, it's great. Seventeen chapters. It's great. Your list is horrible. Um, oh man, that, that, I didn't I didn't cuss any. I don't even want to hear the rest of that. That's horrible. Um, yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't. Right, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Your list is not his list, and he's still looking for Jesus. That was the plan because there's no joy in the list. And he's looking at these people that are church people like us, amazing, who have a list just like us. Whether you realize it or not, there's some barometer in your life you use to, to, to check, do I have, am I, am I following Jesus today? And your barometer is horrible. Because we put it on stupid stuff that the Bible talks so little about. Oh, I went to church this week. That's cute. How hard was that? Really? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you came for two. So if we're even tithing time, you ain't at 10%. Miraculous. That would make you good before God. Wow. Uh, I only listen to Caleb now. That's great. I don't know if God listens to Caleb. So I don't think he cares. If he listens to angels singing all day long, and I don't know what they sing. It might be Chris Tomlin. It may not. Who knows? <laughs> but it's still not a very good list. 
Oh, you read your Bible today. That's amazing. How much your belief connects with your actions. Then we might talk. Right? Like there's, there's a foolishness to the list, but we all have a list. That's what he's trying to say to these people who are depressed and sitting in the chairs and singing songs about the cross and not reflecting the fact that we're singing this monumental, amazing miracle of God that is the cross. And he says, here's the secret. It's because you got your stupid list out today. Because you're finding joy in, I prayed that prayer when I was 11 years older. You're finding, trying to find joy in. I don't know if there's any joy in that, but you're trying to find joy in. I knew all the songs today. I really like the bridge today or the band hit the right chords today or whatever. And he's like, it's foolish. There's no joy in that. There's no joy in that. Every, everything we could list today, there is absolutely no joy in it. And here's the reality. We know that. But I love my kids. Yeah, until they do this thing and you want to beat them to death. They go find joy in that. It's temporary. Oh, I love my spouse. Oh, that's great. Until what happens? You don't. Oh, I love my car. Oh, do you? When you're sitting in traffic, you love your car and you're honking and yelling out the window like a fool. Yeah, you love your car. Or when it breaks down in the middle of the road or the tire pops. Yeah, you love Go find joy in that. Oh, I, I love having stuff. That's great. Do you love having stuff when it's three years old now and you got to go get new stuff? Right? Like, how long do these things last? There's an, I got a new one. I thought I was uptown, and then they made a new one, right? And then when I go buy that one, finally, two years later, they're going to make a new one, and then they're going to make a new one, and they're going to make it. It's temporary. And there's no joy in it. And that's what he's saying. There's no joy in any of those things. Maybe for a moment. Maybe in the circumstances are right and the weather's great and like all those things. Maybe, maybe there's a moment of joy in that, but there's not like everlasting joy in that. But we'll live our whole life steamroll chasing after that thing. And then he says, and I, I, I did it too. I'm, I'm saying this because I, I know this. His, his thing was religion. Man, we'd all maybe even be better off if that was our thing. Right? Like, we can't find anything horrible on the list there. He's not like, my medication to fill the hole in me was smoking this thing, drinking this thing, being with this person. All the things that we would look at and we'd be like, oh, that's unforgivable. I can't believe you do that. He, he's, he's, his list is, is a great list. But here's the truth. All lists are the same list. No matter what your hang-up is, like all the lists are the same list. And if we're trying to find joy in something other than God, there's an issue there because there's no joy there. And this is what he writes. He says in 7, but, but everything, all this that was gained to me that I used to think was like amazing that I was heaping up treasure houses full of. I was, I was was like the most religious dude I knew. Everything that I had spent my whole life trying to get everything that, you know, 30, 40, 50, who knows how old this guy is at this moment, years I was chasing and I thought I wanted, and I thought it would fulfill me all that stuff that I thought would make me happy. I have considered to be lost because of Christ. What's he saying? I've seen him. 
and I don't really care about any of that anymore. I've seen Christ and, and I realize the emptiness of all of this stuff. Like, like I, I, I used to think this was everything I should live my life for, that I should amass this. And now I've seen him and I'm like, who was that? I'm like over here now because this is not a big deal now. I don't care that I spent 30, 40, 50 years chasing this stuff because I've seen him. It's not precious anymore, is what he's saying. More than that, he doubles down. He says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of what? The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, man, I don't care about anything actually anymore. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't crave anything. I don't find joy in anything else because I've seen him. I know him and I know how valuable it is. So I don't have to like go look for joy over here and when I can't find it, go look for joy over here and when I can't find it, look for joy. I'm not, I'm not playing that game anymore because I've seen Jesus and he's blown me away. There's this surpassing value. There's this sufficiency. There is this enoughness in him that makes everything else just look pitiful. It's like, it's like filth. It's like dung. It's like I used to care so much about money, but now I just care so much about Christ. I used to care so much about these people, and I love those people, but now I care so much about Christ. I used to care so much about cars and stuff and houses, but now I care so much about Christ that everything else is just, it's just in its place now. It's just where it's supposed to be. I get, I get like, I, I still, I still love people and I want people to know Jesus and I still read the Bible because I love the Bible and I still like try to be following God. I still try to do all that. But, but what I see is the thing that God wants more than anything from me is just to love Him and enjoy Him and want Him and to desire Him. There's this, there's this thing that's happening in me where I've seen the value of Him and nothing else just looks valuable anymore. That's what He says. I don't, I don't crave any of that stuff anymore. I guess I've seen him. I don't, I don't really, I don't really want to attach to any of that anymore because I've seen him. There's like this value in Christ. There's something in Christ that we can't get in anything else. And that's what he's saying. There's this enoughness that we can find in Christ that we're not going to find in any hobby or thing or person or amount of money in any vacation there's this there's this thing in christ and he's not saying you can't enjoy other things he's just saying put them in their place today put them put them in the place today christ is enough and if i have nothing else he's enough or if i have everything else he's enough i'm not going to enjoy other things over christ i'm going to enjoy other things through christ and when I have that thing that I used to want so much, and I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, God. I'm just funneling all that back. Because I consider everything that I used to crave to be a loss because of Christ. And more than that, anything the world has to offer to me to be a loss in the View of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. But listen to this. I consider them filth. Dung is the word he's using there. So that I may gain 
Christ. What's he talking about? Joy. Joy. He says, I've lost it all. But I've got joy. I've lost everything. All that stuff on my list. I shredded my list. But I've got joy. You, you know, like, he was raised by Jewish parents. You think when he come to know Christ, they're like, oh, that's great, sweetie. If they were still alive, what did he lose when he lost his religion? Well, he would have lost that. Every relationship he had, he was a Pharisee, had disciples, people around him that he would have surrounded himself with. When he found Christ, he didn't only lose his religion, he lost friends. He had popularity. It's gone. Some prominence and power. Gone. Status. Gone. Probably had some kind of livelihood from that. Gone. He's not just throwing out today like this platitude from the stage of, oh yeah, um, I've never had to do it. God never asked me to do it, but I just want you to know today that Jesus is enough. And if he takes all your stuff away, you'll still have joy. He's saying, I have lost it all. But man, what I've found, what I've found is so much greater. I've lost people, I've lost things, I've lost stuff, I've lost hobbies, I've lost places I used to go, I've lost all my hangouts, I've lost all that. But what I've found is joy in Christ, and it is enough, it's more than enough. What I've found in Jesus is more than that I can't even like remember what I've lost. And that's why he's looking at us today, and he's like, guys, you got to get this today. you got to get this. What you need more than anything else, if you're going to make it all the way to the end, what you need more than anything else, if you're just going to make it through the rest of the day, is something that's going to last. You don't need another message. Who cares? You don't need another worship song. Oh, I need something I've never heard before. That'll do it for me. No, it won't. There's like thousands of worship songs. If none of them have done it, this is not going to do it. You don't need another podcast. You don't need another scripture reading. You don't need another prayer night. What you need today is the same thing that all of us need. We got to look up and we got to find joy in something that is enough. And that something is Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's saying, you want to knock the the frown off your face when the world comes against you, when people leave you, when when it's not going your way. It's joy in Jesus that's going to do it for you. You want to make it through death and sorrow and heartache. You want to make it through loss. It's joy. Joy in Jesus is going to do it. You want to make it through disappointment and failure and fear. It's joy in something greater that's going to do it. You got to have joy today. Before we end the letter, before we get out of the book, I want you to know today, joy is the thing that's going to get you through. Joy is the thing that's going to move you through this life. Joy is the thing that's going to take you through the valleys and up the mountain and into the next valley and up the next mountain. The roller coaster that is this life as we're traveling through and as we take off this tent, as we ourselves face death, the thing that's going to get you all the way through the gate into heaven is joy. And man, I have a Savior who loves me, who wants me. When I mess it up, He still cares. When, when, I, when I leave Him, He never leaves me. I'll have joy. 
joy in that today. And I need that today. And I crave that today. And I want that today. And he's saying that can be all of us. Don't forget there's joy in Jesus. It's not just church today. And it's not just songs today. And it's not just hearing somebody talk today. There's substance to this Christ. There's something real in this. And you got to get it because if you don't get it, you're going to leave and you're going to walk away. And the devil's going to walk on you your whole life. But you can walk up out of anything today if you got joy in the right place. Leave it all if you lose it all. Leave it all if you lose it all. But you fix your eyes on him. You fix your eyes on him. Finally, brothers, just one thing. Don't forget joy.